0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. that's me. We are a podcast dedicated to bringing together entrepreneurs, founders, and start angels, VCs, family offices, and investment firms. And uh, we do that without actually making any recommendations about how you should invest your money. That's up to you. You have to do your own research. Um, that's why they call it risk capital. But we don't do that, but we just do just about everything but that. And today, we are delighted to welcome to the accelerator uh, Michelle Kaniks from Bankers Lab. Welcome, Michelle. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, you are coming to us from the beautiful herb of Cleveland, Ohio, though you mostly um, started this company in Asia, right? So this is kind of an unusual pandemic type story. Why don't you tell us how you got to where you are?
1: yeah that's right bankers lab was actually started in the rice patties of chiang mai thailand some former bankers deciding that we really wanted to solve some problems that pained us when we were in the industry so that's that's already 10 years ago the rice paddy days and 30 countries later and some and especially during COVID, just like everybody else here we yep. are working from all
0: over the world so COVID is, uh, I mean, a horrible thing, but but sort of opened up some new avenues for you, didn't you? Didn't it? Because before this, you were primarily, you call it your uh, your flight simulator, um, teaching bankers how to lend, uh, very broadly speaking. But without COVID, you would still be in the in-person event business, and you're in kind of a different business now, doing much the same thing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are two major pivots. So when COVID came, we had pivot number one, like many people, and we converted from those in-person coaching workshops to the Zoom world, which we did very quickly and took, you know, took. We really had to retool a number of things in the way we did them. But still, the the most relevant use case, as you mentioned, is training. But then we, after talking about fintech for years, how many years we've mm-hmm. been talking about it? As we all know, COVID really accelerated that digital adoption. And Mm -hmm. we've seen a huge acceleration in all these new tools that people are trying to figure out how to use very quickly and integrate those into a digital lending process. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's great for training, and that's a nice use case. But on the other hand, it's a really powerful use case for helping people do what if, test and learn, like, you know, how do I, how do I, play before I pay? How do I use this new type of data or tech tool um, to really think through that in, you know, uh, really think through it in a simulated environment in a rich way. so that that's sort of
0: pivot number two that's been happening. So that's your that's your core product, the simulator, right? So first, before we get into the guts of that, I'd like to know a little bit, uh, maybe go back to the rice patty. You said it was a bunch of bankers in a rice patty. so, that certainly makes it sound like you were a banker. So what what kind of banker were you, uh, or how close to that industry were you, and what, where did the frustration come in, and how did Bankers Lab try to solve that?
1: Yeah, so prior to that, uh, I was at Standard Chartered Bank, which had a footprint in 57 countries. Wow. And uh, my co-founder had been at HSBC, which was in about the same number of countries. And I think what we saw is, the simple analogy with the flight simulator came from looking around the bank and saying, how do you expect people to just step in and manage these huge portfolios and what they see a PowerPoint training, they read a book. Like there was nothing like most other industries have, have simulations. Surgeons have simulations, pilots have simulations, Hmm. nurses have simulations. So credit to standard charter, they had really realized how powerful this was so when i was in the bank i worked with that i worked with uh dr neil seitz who had built some of the original algorithms that we Mm. use today and really you create that not just accountability for people but the opportunity to really practice you don't learn something complex by reading about you have to do it you have to practice you have to fail and and it worked and we realized we could you know try to have an impact on the industry. And remember this is right after the financial crisis. So at that point, you know, it's a little bit passionate for everybody of how do we make the industry better? How do we make it safer?
0: How do you know that it worked? What were the results? How how do you quantify this? We do, so we do a couple of
1: things. I mean, we can do learning gains testing before and afterwards. Um, We have had clients report back to us on portfolio improvements that they've seen so we've Mm -hmm. done it that way Um, and you know anecdotally you know I've run into people in airports who have said you this changed my career Mm. I suddenly understood all the pieces came together for me so Mm -hmm. you know we do it in a number of ways and of course we use the standard educational stuff of you know satisfaction ratings but at the end of the day it's really those learning gains and those portfolio outcomes that that we're looking to measure.
0: Does it feel like a game when they're playing it? Does it feel like a flight? You know, Flight Simulator is a pretty famous, I think, game from Microsoft, right? So is um, and was one of the very earliest games on PCs years and years and years ago. So, how do you make lending feel like a game?
1: It is so. It is fun to watch because, you know. People are managing these virtual portfolios. There are over a trillion possible outcomes, so there's not just one way to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because early on we really studied all the ins and outs of gamification. Shout out to Kevin Warbach, um, who really pioneered that formal knowledge. But at the end of the day, we realized, as a gamification element, competition is the most powerful one, and bankers are very competitive. Mm-hmm. So you know the in-person workshops we would have people you know jumping up and grown adults in three-piece suits jumping up and down we've had people in tears and really people get quite emotional about it because they really you know they don't have that chance typically to to do that sort of thing and and it's it is very powerful so it's it's fun to watch and and our goal was really to recreate the same level of engagement over Zoom, which you can imagine was a big challenge, right? So we had to really retool how we structured the sessions and the timings and stuff. How
0: but did you do that? How did you retool it?
1: Pretty simple. No one wants to listen to a lecture over Zoom. <laughs> so you've got to gamify, you've got to throw more gamification at it. You've got to find a way to get the information across without a lecture. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's Mm -hmm. self discovery or doing an, just putting people into team rooms and having them do an activity and kind of like, you know, learn it by just figuring it out, essentially.
0: Learn it by figuring it out. And it's funny. um, uh, We don't necessarily, I mean, sometimes, you know, people talk about business, particularly finance as a game and they say, well, you know, making money. Um, it's just a way of keeping store, uh, keeping score. And you'll notice only very rich people say that. It's that's true. how they keep score. <laughs> you know that. I always I used to hate it when I when people would say that when uh, very rich people would say that. But you had to retool. Now you have um, ten full-time employees. Your your chief technology officer and co-founder is in California. You have some marketing in Finland. You're basically kind of all over the world. So um, what do you anticipate? And I, I should also add, you're in 30 countries and most of Asia. So this is, mm-hmm. this is a startup that has um, survived. So now, does it feel like a new beginning at, at this point? Or what, what do you really have to do to get to the point where um, not that you can retire, but you know, that you're, you're, you feel like you've really maximized this business?
1: I mean, sometimes it does feel like every week is a new beginning, which can be kind of tiring. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) This long,
1: but in a good way. But you get so excited every Monday because there's just more to explore and more to do. And I think for us, to your point, what's next, it's really about scaling the simulation in a way that helps everybody figure out all these new tools. So let me give you an example. Uh, Buy now, pay later. Right. As a risk manager, it gives me hives, I'll be honest. <laughs>
0: I'll
1: go on records saying that. Why,
0: why is that? Uh, to, to those of us who are not in that business, why does that give you hives? What is it about buy now, pay later that is challenging? Um,
1: the challenging part about buy now, pay later is that um, the, the product structure really allows customers who don't have a credit history to get in trouble very quickly. Mm. And it's geared towards customers without a credit history who may not be as savvy so they can kind of quickly get into trouble.
0: And I just want to make sure I understand that because buy now, pay later is the essence of all credit, isn't it? Uh, You know, that kind of concept. So what is different about this piece?
1: No. And your point is well taken because at the end of the day, you know, remember in the old days we had layaway at the store, right? Ah,
0: yes. Remember those?
1: Yeah, and sure. the concept is the same, except you get to take the thing home on day one, and then you have these interest only payments thereafter. And, and you're right. It's, it isn't that much different than uh, a very short term unsecured personal loan. So mm-hmm. it, it's a, just a product variant, but it's the way it's offered. And, you know, as much as I'm always really trying to educate our clients about the product design and how the user experience really drives can drive good results in this case we make it so easy for people for instant gratification so when you're like well gosh here's this set of two thousand dollar furniture from my living room that I kind can, of can't afford but and it's sitting in my basket but now I can press this button it's not even going to check my credit and I'll have it tomorrow so like what could go wrong right? Just just everything. And there are not a lot of affordability guardrails around it. So so for example, of course, we can simulate that. And there are different payment structures for BMPL. There are different Mm -hmm. ways to set up those guardrails. So let's simulate. Let's try different things. And okay, I get it that maybe your goal with Buy Now Pay Later is to increase those cart checkout rates. But at the end of the day, somebody's gonna have to pay for the losses. So let's simulate it and go through. Like, well, can we tweak this or tweak that in terms of the loan terms to really make sure we've also protected
0: ourselves from more risk perspective. Now, did you start after the financial crisis of two thousand eight? I did. You did. So, so what was it? So there, there's a case where um, it was uh, bad credit. After worse, it just got worse and worse. Um, it was a system that I think we can say without any f- fear of contradiction was completely out of control. Uh, what if, what would you had, what would you have done if you had been started your business a little earlier and, um, the, the, uh, a major, a major lender, uh, home mortgage lender had come into you and said, we are really heading off a cliff here. Could you have done anything to stop that kind of an interesting, fun question. I want you to simulate that uh, financial crisis for me.
1: In fact, it is funny because many of our clients, when we simulate mortgages, one of the questions they ask is, can we have a securitize button?
0: Uh huh.
1: Well, basically a panic button. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> I've written all this bad paper. Can I just have a panic button just to sell it off to somebody? And- oh, wow. And we've always refused. We've said, no, that's not why you're that's here.
0: not how it works.
1: That's not how it works. We're not going to give you a panic.
0: To coin a phrase, that would be game over.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like, like you're <laughs> gonna lose. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, once they had written the bad paper, um, and and honestly, your question is very relevant to buy now pay later, and some of the fintech business models, we do see high losses. So, to your point, what can be done? Absolutely. And we've seen really good solutions around customer debt restructuring, um, you know, getting out in front of it with those customers and, and helping them come up with things. And I think the the debt collection space is one of those, you know, and here, this is a good one for your investors listening, that collections and debt management space has really done some really nice innovations very quietly. Everybody always talks about the snazzy big shiny object, but, The workman-like innovation and collections is really cool. So for example, oh my gosh, I got over-indebted. Look, here's this app. We're going to consolidate the stuff that you're in debt on. And guess what? We're going to let you, you have three choices to restructure. You can pick the payment date so that it's right after your paycheck, right? So these, right, whereas the big banks, they had trouble doing that because their incumbent, you know, hardwired systems weren't set up mm. to be flexible enough to do that. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so though, and also omni-channel communication to customers. So, doing lots of testing and learning. So, we're simulating this now because, you know, we're looking at oh, you know what? We can push out an app notification to the customer, an SMS, that and do A/B testing to figure out for each customer group, what works better. So that's the type of stuff that you can do in a simulation to
0: really think through how should I be communicating with these customers? I'm sure you've given a lot of thought to this, but how is there any, is there any possibility of moving uh, your company bankers lab? And we're talking to Michelle Cadix, who is the uh, the head of, of this company that's been in business for 10 years with uh, the flight simulator for, for bank lending. Have you given thought to, can we move into the real world? Can we move out of simulation so that with a real live situation, uh, in effect, a banker could simulate what might happen, as opposed to a, a simulation game where they're, you know, the stakes are low?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are many of the modern bank software systems have things that are like, they might call them a digital twin. They might call them um, an estimator, where they take the live data and they sort of pump it through something.
0: So they already and, have that in a sense.
1: They have it, but the challenge is that you know you don't have all these algorithms that we have the freedom to create in our virtual world. So I'll give you right. an example. Like you can say, "Oh, I'm going to go on the system and say, well, you know." I'm going to take this action, and 30% of the time in the past, the customers responded this way. But price sensitivity, nobody really knows. So mm-hmm. we can what if that, right? So we can kind of what if anything, mm-hmm. and you know we work with our clients to recreate the virtual world so it looks and feels like their real world, mm-hmm. but but by using synthetic data, and these algorithms around it, it gives them the, gives us the freedom and the richness. Well, so, so truth be told, we can exaggerate certain trends to make sure, you know, if there's something you really don't want somebody to do in the future, you can exaggerate it. So you will definitely suffer in the game.
0: So you will stay where you are in the simulation space. That's another way of saying that's well, a safer place. I mean, once you get into the real world, you're running, I mean, you know, there's potentially a lot of upside, but there's also a lot of downside.
1: Well, I think, I think us linking to the real world though, for us, that has also been part of the pivot, meaning that our Mm -hmm. clients have now come to us saying, you know, we used to have all these off the shelf configurations in the SIM and they would just be like, yeah, let's do a standard mortgage portfolio standard, Mm -hmm. whatever. But now they're like, oh, let's configure it so that it looks like our FinTech portfolio. Let's configure Mm -hmm. it so that, you know, we've gotten hyper specific um with clients who have one is in Asia with a you know they do all these loans for those small motor scooters on a massive basis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let's simulate it and the cool thing was they said oh we're going to launch a new product next year so we simulated the new product that didn't exist yet based on their description of it so Mm -hmm. they could plan for it right Hmm. so there's a mixture of the fully synthetic but also taking that simulation and taking a specific portfolio of a client and kind of recreating it. I guess it's very metaverse right? <laughs> I, was, like, I was thinking that.
0: Know? I was thinking two <laughs> things. One is you're kind of the metaverse for the bankers. Um, and the other is that this is the greatest use of fake money since monopoly.
1: <laughs> I never thought about it that way. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Well, the cool thing is that you you know, you're allowing people to, to fail and succeed without the real consequences. So they right. will try stuff that they they wouldn't. Because typically, when you talk about lending, you know, we make these fine adjustments because we don't want to, you know, if you t- think about experimental design, you'd want to try something that's way out of the box. And, mm. you know, I love teams who will come in and say, no, let's try something nuts and see what happens. Like, oh, that's why we never do that. <laughs>
0: It it usually reinforces the norm, would you say, as opposed to the, the devi- deviation from the norm?
1: Yes, half-half. Half of the time, they go, oh, that's why we don't do that. The other half of the time, they go, why aren't we trying this? Why aren't we thinking uh-huh. outside the box? So it's like kind of 50-50 in terms of yeah. of where the testing leads people.
0: So, so let me ask you a question because I think you're, you know, you've had a viable business now for ten years. Um, uh, you've, you you're still a small business, I think, um, in terms of revenues. Um, and so the question is, you know, where can you go from here? And 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 are we in a world? And you also have this advantage. I, I wanted to also emphasize that there are a lot of businesses out there that. Um, I I would almost call them like Zoom businesses. Maybe they had a, they probably did have some kind of events business before, but uh, for example, we had a company on called High Counselor uh, on our show, on our program, on the accelerator. And um, they are a um, training and placement employment app, HR app, essentially. Very interesting company, very smart founder. And um, they, you know, they have, I asked him a very simple question. I think you and I might have even talked about it before, where I said, "You know, how do you scale this business?" And 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 he said, um, "Well, we used to, you know, we have 30 people on a Zoom uh, training session now, but we think we can do 600." Mm -hmm. Like, wow, that's a much better business than doing it in person, isn't it?
1: Exactly. That's right. Well, and for us, I mean, we do, we've done 50 people, right? Mm-hmm. Which, which we not, wouldn't typically do in a classroom, which is not, you know, that you kind of lose the plot at that point. Yeah. And I think for us, the scaling is really around this idea of having very, I would say simple more simplistic workshops. where We're not trying to learn all the ins and outs of lending, but they're so repeatable. But for example, how do I use this new aggregated data to measure affordability and plug it into my underwriting process mm-hmm. one day? And the thousand banks who are trying to do that today, they can all do that one day thing and be like, oh, now we know what to do. We did our what is, we did our things, right? So yeah. that kind of distilling it down to one simplified business problem creates a workshop that's highly repeatable and highly impactful, which is what we were always after. So now we're cool. like, oh, that's really impactful.
0: So do you, um, can you expand into um, other industries, um, uh, even industries that are kind of adjacent, like uh, insurance, for example? Um, do you do you see growth in those kind of areas? Because I, what I loved about this, and I, I think I saw you first on one of the unicorn pitches. Um, uh, not pitching, you weren't pitching, but you were you were participating, and um, you said, "Oh, you know, we have a flight sli- simulator for bankers." And I said, "Oh, she had me at flight simulator, <laughs> um, bankers." You know, I don't care that much, but but flight simulator that sounds like fun. That's an interesting idea. So, is the simulation flight simulator concept portable? Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you some fun
1: examples. Um, I mean, at the moment, we simulate anything that's any type of lending, and mm-hmm. a fund's new space for us. Been working with a partner company of our turnkey lender, who's seeing there's there's something called embedded finance, which might sound mm-hmm. boring, but it's stuff like um, you're you manufacture, uh, big medical equipment like MRI machines, mm-hmm. and rather than your the doctor's office going to the bank getting a loan coming back a month later. You provide the financing. GE Capital has done this forever. That's the key to their business model. Right? Yeah. yeah. But because of cloud-based computing, a relatively small company, you know, as compared to GE Capital, can now insource their own finance. And guess what? They can make so much more money. For example, mm-hmm. if you sell the item for $100,000, the guy's got to go get a loan from the bank for $100,000. The bank needs $100,000 right? Mm-hmm. And they make their margin on that amount. If you're the manufacturer, let's say it costs you $50,000 to manufacture it. You're still financing a hundred and getting the interest margin on the hundred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on the original $50,000 that you, right. right. So you actually make three times your margin. So they're figuring this out and the software in the cloud-based solutions that are so easy to use now, that's great, but they're like, Got a simulator. We'll get you guys up to speed real fast so that you guys know how to set the parameters and you know mm-hmm. what should be our lending criteria. And, oh, we need to change it and explore that. So I yeah. think um, the kind of explosion of these cloud-based solutions has provided us
0: opportunities to
1: move into all these other spaces that didn't exist previously.
0: And Michelle, I want to ask you also, because I think that there's something um, that it that, that uh, having been in this situation myself, there's something about a founder that has really um, been able to stick it out. Um, because you, if you've been in business ten years, you've had lots of ups and downs. You, I'm sure, you've had times where you thought, you know, you wouldn't make it, but here you are, you did make it. So, what would your advice be to younger founders, people who are getting started, and also maybe expecting returns? rather quickly compared to maybe what the reality might be the reality is they may have to stick it out so how did you how does one decide to stick it out versus like you know what i'm done with that i'm going to try something else how do how do you how do you make that decision
1: well, i think for a lot of people it's going to be a very personal decision based on their situation and kind of their passion for their project yeah um, and you know for us you know the ethic of the company has always been you know, we want to solve hard problems. So you hmm. can imagine if we gave up, we'd be like, oh, I'd go back to work in a bank and crank out a bunch of reporting. No, thank you. I'd rather, I'd rather right. suffer, take my lumps and solve hard problems. And, you know, for us, you know, of course, as an entrepreneur, you always hope to, you know, really succeed financially because that's how we keep score. And it's nice.
0: Don't but say that. That gets me mad when you say that. <laughs> You want to succeed financially because that's how you succeed. <laughs> that's
1: how you succeed. And then you Let get the more or not? It, it does. It builds on itself. But at the end of the day, you know, the original mission has been to move the needle in the financial sector. And when we say move the needle, we want to make finance more sustainable. And more sustainable, meaning that portfolios don't blow up because people are just looking at the short term. People really have good insight into all the different phenomena occurring in there. And to democratize that, what better than a video game?
0: Yeah, yeah. In the metaverse, playing with other, without real money. Um, Michelle Caddix, I want to thank you for being here, but I can't let you go without doing something you did on the unicorn pitch battle where we met. Um, You said entrepreneurs always have an ask. and Um, even in our last conversation, I'm going to make this easy for you by telling me, telling you what you said in our last conversation, you said, (laughs) we want to partner with data companies, um, implementing banking as a service. Now you can use that as your ask. So I'm letting you off easy here, but if you want to, if you want another ask, I'll give you two asks for the price of one here as a simulation. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thank
1: you. Our ask is simple back to the partnering. For us, we are looking for additional partners to work with, whether it be aggregated data providers, mm-hmm. banking as a service providers, um, uh, BNPL platform companies, so that we can help because we can help them grow quickly because we can democratize and kind of demystify so that we can reduce the adoption times of whatever their data or technology is. And for us, it helps us scale out to that whole audience. So yeah, absolutely for us, we're looking for the right partners and continuing to just keep simulating their use cases and, and help their clients get the ROI out of their products, whatever
0: it might be. Well, listen, uh, Michelle, I want to thank you for being uh, being our guest on the Accelerator today. Um, and um, of course, I want to wish you all the luck in the world with uh, Bank Lab. Bank, bank. Bank lab, banks lab, Bank's Banker, lab. bankers lab, bankers lab, I'm sorry, I managed to forget that in the half hour that we've been talking bankers lab. Um, it's been in business uh, over 10 years. It has people all over the world, uh, faculty of 25 working virtually with potential now in the virtual world to leverage that into a bigger business. So um, we're really grateful. Uh, to you for being here. And uh, we hope you'll stay in touch. And, uh, and uh, mayhaps we will um, get the update on the latest simulation down the road. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for having me. We appreciate Uh,
0: it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Michelle.
1: Thank you.